George Street, located in the heart of Edinburgh's new town, is a thoroughfare steeped in history and elegance. The street, named after King George III, who reigned from 1760 to 1820, was designed as part of James Craig's visionary plan for the new town, a project aimed at relieving the overcrowding of the old medieval town and creating a more organised and aesthetically pleasing urban space. Construction of George Street began in the late 18th century and upon completion it became a hub for Edinburgh's elite and upper classes. The street was meticulously planned to exude sophistication, with elegant neoclassical architecture, wide pavements and well-spaced trees. The buildings lining George Street feature stunning facades adorned with intricate detailing, reflecting the architectural trends of the Georgian era. During its history, George Street has evolved to reflect the changing times. In the 19th century, it was home to exclusive clubs, luxury hotels and fashionable shops. One of these shops was a business owned by a woman named Jane Vernold, and Jane is the reason for today's story. Jane, an enterprising woman of her time, was the owner of a flourishing costumier's shop located on George Street during the latter part of the 19th century. Her business thrived, earning her considerable success. However, the year 1892 brought an unforeseen turn of events that forced her to make a heart-wrenching decision, to part with her cherished enterprise. The shop wasn't on the market for very long and sold to a Miss Bosworth within a month of going on sale. <laughs> One fateful day, Miss Fernalt returned to her former establishment in a state of distress. Her cries and screams echoing through the air. Overwhelmed by regret for parting with her business, she expressed a strong desire to reclaim it. Unfortunately, Miss Bosworth, unmoved by Jane's pleas, remained resolute in her decision not to relinquish the shop. This refusal appeared to exasperate Jane's distress, plunging her deeper into emotional turmoil. For a span of six weeks, Jane returned to the business daily, her persistent pleas to reclaim her shop echoing within its walls. However, with each visit, she was met with the same response, urged to depart the premises. Refusing to yield, Jane's persistence led to her being escorted out of the shop by staff whenever she resisted their requests. Soon the circumstances behind Jane's hasty sale of the shop became clear. Jane was grappling with serious illness, and those around her described her mental state as being in disarray unhinged almost. In the interest of her health, her doctors had advised her to part with her beloved establishment and to seek rest. Even during her supposed period of recovery, Miss Bosworth noted sightings of Jane on George Street, a figure consumed by sorrow, her head bowed in despair and her grief seemingly inconsolable. But Miss Bosworth knew that Jane was unable to travel, and this shouldn't have been the former owner she was seeing. But it was. Eventually, and unfortunately, Jane's malady consumed her, and sadly, she soon passed. 
But this was not to be the end of Jane of George Street. She would continue to visit, even in death, and even after her beloved shop had been turned into a chemist. The below description of the first time Jane was seen is taken from a book, which is well worth a read, called Scottish Ghost Stories by Elliot O'Donnell. I was walking in a leisurely way along George Street the other day, towards Strunnels, where I get my cigars, and had arrived opposite the shop when I suddenly noticed, just ahead of me, a tall lady of remarkably graceful figure, clad in a costume which, even to an ignoramus in fashions like myself, seemed extraordinarily out of date. In my untechnical language, it consisted of a dark blue coat and skirt trimmed with black braid. The coat had a very high collar, turned over to show a facing of blue velvet. Its sleeves were very full at the shoulders, and a band of blue velvet drew it tightly in at the waist. The other conspicuous items of her dress, the effect of which was, on the whole, quiet, were white lace gloves, over which dangled gold curb bracelets with innumerable pendants, shoes which were of patent leather with silver buckles and rather high Louis heels, and fine blue silk openwork stockings. So much for her dress, now for herself. She was a strikingly fair woman with very pale yellow hair and a startlingly white complexion. And this latter peculiarity so impressed me that I hastened my steps, determining to get a full view of her. Passing her with rapid strides, I looked back and as I did so, a cold chill ran through me. What I looked at was the face of the dead. I slowed down and allowed her to take the lead. I now observed that startling as she was, no one else seemed to notice her. One or two people, obviously, though probably unconsciously possessing the germs of psychism, shivered when they passed her. But as they neither slackened their pace nor turned to steal a second look, I concluded that they hadn't seen her. Without glancing either to the right or left, she moved steadily on, past Moulton's the confectioners, past Perrin's the hatters. Once I thought she was coming to a halt and that she intended crossing the road, but no, on, 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 till we came to St David's Street. There we were, preparing to cross over, when an elderly gentleman walked deliberately into her. I half expected to hear him apologise, but naturally nothing of the sort happened. She was only too obviously a phantom. And, in accordance with the nature of a phantom, she passed right through him. A few yards farther on, she came to an abrupt pause, and then, with a slight inclination of her head, as if meaning me to follow, she glided into a chemist's shop. She was certainly not more than six feet ahead of me when she passed through the door, and I was even nearer than that to her when she suddenly disappeared as she stood before the counter. I asked the chemist if he could tell me anything about the lady who had just entered his shop, but he merely turned away and laughed. On a typically rainy day, our witness then had a second encounter with the graceful ghost of George Street. Everything was wet, everywhere was mud, 
The water, splashing upwards, saturated the tops of my boots and converted my trousers into sodden sacks. Some weather isn't fit for dogs, but this weather wasn't good enough for tadpoles. Even fish would have kicked at it and kept in their holes. Imagine then the anomaly. Amidst all this aqueous inferno, this slippery, sloppery, filth-bespattering inferno, a spotlessly clean apparition in blue without either waterproof or umbrella. I refer to Jane. She suddenly appeared as I was passing the ladies' tea association rooms, walking in front of me. She looked just the same as when I last saw her, spick and span, and dry. I repeat the word, dry, for that is what attracted my attention most. Despite the deluge, not a single raindrop touched her. The plumes on her toque were splendidly erect and curly. Her shoe buckles sparkled. Her patent leathers were spotless, whilst the cloth of her coat and skirt looked as sheeny as if they had just come from Keeley's. Anxious to get another look at her face, I quickened my pace and darting past her, gazed straight at her countenance. The result was a severe shock. The terror of what I saw, the ghastly horror of her dead white face, sent me reeling across the pavement. I let her pass me, and, impelled by a sickly fascination, followed in her wake. Outside a jeweller's stood a hansom, quite a curiosity in these days of motors, and as Jane glided past, the horse shied. I have never seen an animal so terrified. We went on, and at the next crossing halted. A policeman had his hand up checking the traffic. His glance fell on Jane. The effect was electrical. His eyes bulged, his cheeks whitened, his chest heaved, his hand dropped, and he would undoubtedly have fallen had not a good Samaritan in the guise of a non-psychical public house loafer held him up. Jane was now close to the chemists, and it was with a sigh of relief that I saw her glide in and disappear. Jane's haunting presence, though intense, gradually waned, and after a few brief weeks, sightings and reports of her apparition ceased. I walk along George Street regularly, and often see people lost in their phones or deep in conversation with their friends, seemingly heedless of the world around them and the fellow pedestrians they cross paths with. Amid these instances of distraction, a recurring thought occurs to me. Could Jane herself materialise during such moments, retracing her steps towards the location of her erstwhile business? Perhaps she passes through the midst of individuals who remain oblivious to her ethereal presence, mercifully unaware of the haunting visage she might assume. We can only hope that she's finally found the peace that eluded her during her earthly struggles, that she has transcended the heartbreak of relinquishing the business she painstakingly nurtured into a thriving success, and that her spirit has found solace in moving on from this realm of existence. The next time you're in the new town and you see someone who looks out of place, take another look. It might just be Jane of George Street.